We're going to start again today with the uh, book of Revelation, uh, our look at this book. I took a brief a break from it over um, Christmas, and uh, what I've done is I've printed some more of these uh, little guides. That we didn't do a very good job laying them out this time, but uh, pick one up. There's a pile of them up here. Uh, these are strategies for understanding the book of Revelation, and uh, it'll help you as we read through the book together, as we talk about it and study uh, I will be doing a Q&A after the service, so if you have questions, uh, anything you'd like to ask either about the sermon, uh, about the book of Revelation, or anything like that, I'll be more than happy uh, to answer those questions. So pick up a handout, uh, use that as a guide, and we, we are preparing some other handouts that I'll give you uh, later on that I think you'll find, you'll find helpful. One of the things that uh, you might ask the question, well, why... Uh, study the book of Revelation. And the reason is very simple. We live in the last times, the last days. But as I've been telling you throughout the series, those last days should not be confined merely to the last days or months or years right before Jesus returns. But rather, we should look at it the way the Bible teaches that the last days are, Uh, both in the Old Testament, the way they viewed eschatology or the end times, and the way that the New Testament writers picked it up and applied it to the New Testament world, the last days are all those days between the time that Jesus was resurrected and ascended until the time of His second coming. So however long that is, whether it's been 2,000 years so far, And it may be another 2,000, it may be 2 million. We do not know, and we're not going to predict dates, and we can't look at the newspaper and all those things and try to uh, figure out when those last days are because we're already living in them. And if you were living in Aleppo, Syria, or you were living in Nigeria, or you were living in uh, uh, China today, and you picked up... The book of Revelation, you would say, wow, I see all this happening right now. Why is it that evangelical preachers in the United States can find the last days only when that persecution is coming to us in the West? What arrogance that is. It's unbelievable. And so I'm going to uh, try to dissuade you of that. And I know there's a lot. I know. Listen, I know what is out there. I watch late night Christian TV. That's where I get all my great information. And so, uh, believe me, I know what's out there. And uh, so as we've been doing, I'm go- we're going to pick it up in chapter 12, and I'll give you a brief review, and then we'll take off and, and, uh, and look at chapter 12 today. But um, as we've been uh, doing, I want to encourage you to not read along. The text is printed in your bulletin. You have it in your Bible if you brought a Bible. Don't read as I'm reading. Just listen, because that's how the early church would have experienced this book. They would have heard it. Most people were illiterate. They would have heard it read. It was meant to be read by a lector, which is what I'm going to be in the next few minutes, and listen to and let the images float up in your mind, whatever you see. Then when we drill down in the sermon this morning, we'll go down, you can look and we'll look at particular texts and we'll exegete those texts. But just to experience it the way the church would have experienced it in the early times when John wrote it, just listen and now hear 
God's Word, Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on the heads seven diadems or crowns, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was given a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. And the woman was given the wings, two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she was to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away from the flood, with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So John is in exile. And John is on an island, the island of Patmos. And he's he's in exile for his testimony, for proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Lord, that he was the true uh, king. And the church at that time, we're uh, assuming that it was in the late 
mid to late 90s of the first century, the church is on the cusp of intense persecution. The church was persecuted under Nero in the 50s, but it was nothing like what came under the emperor Domitian and those who followed him. The church suffered incredible persecution for a time, and that was the period that John was writing. That was his audience. And Jesus appears to John on the Lord's Day. It would have been a Sunday like this. And he appears to him in this incredible vision. And in that vision, in chapter 1, John is given the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Now, we kind of just jump through it real quickly. We rush through it. And we don't see what John has done in chapter 1. And so we make shipwreck very often of everything that comes on after it all the way through the 22nd chapter. And what I've encouraged you to do, and what I'm going to do throughout our series, did before in the first part, now I'll finish it this fall or this spring, is we're going to let the Bible interpret itself and tell us what those symbols are and what those pictures are and what they mean. Instead of coming with... Uh, current historical data or newspaper or some other information and trying to get the book of Revelation to fit into some historical timeline. It cannot be done because the book of Revelation, by its very nature, the way it is written, the way it is structured, the book of Revelation is doing something in theology we call recapitulating. And so you're seeing the same scenes repeated over and over. In fact, there are seven scenes of judgment in the book of Revelation. And at the end of each scene, the book starts over again and starts over again. And in the q and I'm happy to explain that to you in greater detail. But if you don't pick up on that, what you'll try to do is read it straight through in a, in a, in a straight Western chronology and you'll end up with all kinds of crazy ideas, which is exactly what has happened in the 21st century, 20th century evangelical world. And there's some nutty stuff out there. And I am promising you I will not be nutty. We may get close to nutty, but we won't be completely nutty. All right. Here's the key. John sees this vision. He saw seven lampstands. Then he sees someone, now listen, like a son of man. Hair white like wool, voice like a trumpet, eyes like blazing fire, feet like bronze, voice like rushing water, face like a brilliant sun. He held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, and I fell down at his feet like a dead man. And then he spoke to me, and he said, write down what you see and what you hear. And then he gives him the key. He said, the seven stars are seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. The seven stars are the angels of the churches. The seven churches are the lampstand. Anyway, you get it. All right, sorry. What he's saying is, you're going to be now, from now on, I'm going to be talking to you in pictures. I'm going to explain to you what those pictures are, but you're going to be seeing things and images that will apply to you in your historical context, John, but they will also apply to everybody 
else in the world throughout the ages from now until I return. These images will be relevant to the first century church, to the second century church, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. Throughout history, doesn't matter how many centuries go by, you will always be able to pick up the book of Revelation and read it, and it'll mean something to you. And as we grow closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus, I made the point last semester that Jesus, when Jesus does come, you will only know it after the fact. Nobody is going to know. Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day or hour. You're not going to know. There are going to be signs of the times which you will see throughout church history. You're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see famines. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. But don't be afraid. And he should have added, of course he didn't ask me, but I think he should have added, and don't predict. But implied in there is don't predict. He's saying, live, live your life in faith. Trust me. And watch for these signs because they're out there and they're going on all the time. So there are seven letters that follow to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. There's this magnificent scene, 4 and 5, in the throne room of God where a a scroll is brought out with seven seals. and, And a question is asked from these creatures that are flying around, who is worthy to open the seals? And John begins weeping because nobody's worthy. And then he sees a lion, but it's really not a lion, it's a lamb. You see what's going on here? The imagery is fantastic. Hollywood could never do it. Only the human heart and the human imagination can take it in. And the Lamb is worthy and He begins opening the seals and you have these seven seals of judgment. The first four, these horsemen of the apocalypse, the end times, and then the final seal and then Jesus returns at the end of chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, an interlude where 144,000 faithful followers representing all of us who ever lived, who are faithful to Jesus and holding on to His, His skirts for our salvation. We are sealed against judgment, but not against persecution. And then the seventh trumpet sounds and the end comes. So in chapter 8, the entire cycle from beginning to end has run. And he starts over with seven trumpets. And then you have the trumpets in 8 and 9. And then you have another interlude where God's faithful witnesses, two faithful witnesses, uh, and they're not, and I, I, we can talk about it in the Q&A, but I'm, I'm arguing that they are not two people, individuals. They are two witnesses because two witnesses were required in the ancient world. So everyone would have understood that the truth was being proclaimed by the church, the two witnesses of the church. And that what was being said about the gospel of Jesus was truth. And you could bet your life on that truth. And these faithful witnesses are killed. But then they are resurrected. And then the seventh trumpet sounds at the End of chapter 11, and there's another final judgment and return of Christ. And then the cycle starts over for the third time 
in chapter 12, what we just read. And here we go. Now listen carefully. We'll go through it quickly and then we'll see how far we can get uh, with this today. In this chapter 12, you have a remarkable shift in the narrative. John is no longer talking about things that are happening on earth. He takes his audience and he sweeps them up into the heavenlies and he says to the audience, us and everybody else, he says, here's what's going on cosmically behind the scenes Here's what's happening on a cosmic level. There's a woman, and she's giving birth to a child. And then there's this red dragon who is just waiting for the child to be born so that the dragon can sweep in and devour the child. It's chilling. In fact, the children are probably shivering. Now in our church, they're Presbyterian children, so nothing scares them. But, but in the ancient Near East, they went, oh my goodness, a dragon's just going to get the baby. And then in chapter 13, the baby escapes, of course, which we just read, and I'll talk about that in a second. But in chapter 13, this beast rises out of the sea. And then another beast rises from the land. And these two beasts are given the power from the dragon. And then there's another interlude in in chapter 14. 144,000 again are sealed against judgment, but not against persecution. They won't receive judgment, but they will receive persecution by by the beasts, the two beasts and the dragon. Then there's three angelic messengers in the middle of... 14, another interlude where John exhorts the uh, church to perseverance. And then finally, the Son of Man comes again a third time in chapter 14 and harvests the earth to final judgment. So there you have 12, 13, and 14 in three chapters. John takes us through the whole cycle again, and he does it by means of 12 stories, 12 what uh, theologians have called 12 histories, or seven histories, excuse me, seven histories uh, that have to do with the, uh, uh, with the story of redemption. I'm sorry, you know the numbers. Don't, don't you feel bad for me? I have to remember all these numbers and keep them straight. There are seven histories here in these three chapters, and so we're going to look at them. And here's the, here's the way I've given you the outline, and we'll do this quickly this morning, but... Every time what I've asked you to do with the book of Revelation is first of all say, what are you seeing? What do you see? Then secondly, we're going to ask the question, why did John write this? Why does he want us to see this? And then thirdly, who do you see? So we're going to do that this morning. What do you see? Why do you see it? And who do you see? First of all, what do you see? First of all, what you see is a woman who is giving birth and a dragon, and the dragon wanting to consume the woman. Now John uses an interesting word. He says, I saw a great sign, and he uses the word in Greek, it's megasemeon, and that's a technical term. You see, there was a word for miracle or for a wonder, like something stupendous, something wow. But there was also this word semeon, and semeon means a sign. 
And what have I told you in past years? What is a sign? What does a sign do? A sign is something that points to something else. A sign is not the thing itself. Are you with me? So if you drive out of El Paso and you head north on uh, I-10, you're going to see a sign that says Las Cruces, 36 miles. Is the sign Las Cruces? No, the sign is pointing to Las Cruces. Eventually you arrive there. And that's what signs were. When Jesus performed a miracle, it was not to dazzle people and make their heads spin. It was to point to something. So when he went and a leper fell down at his feet, think with me now, a leper falls down at his feet and he says to Jesus, make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. What is the sign? Because it says he performed a sign with that. The signs are numerous. One is the man has leprosy, and it's not just leprosy. Leprosy was code language, not just for a disease, but for what? Uncleanness. And who is reaching out his hand and touching? You don't touch lepers, but Jesus touched lepers. What's up with that? He's saying, I am the way that you get clean. Now, did he actually heal the man of leprosy? Everybody say yes. Yes, he it was a miracle, bona fide miracle. He actually did it. The man's skin became clean. But if that's all you see, then all you have is a, is a wonder-working magician who did miracles. That's not all that's going on. Jesus is telling us, He's pointing to something. He's saying, I'm the sign. I'm going to do this. And it's a sign that I am the way your sins will be cleansed. He broke bread, he took fish, he distributed them miraculously. They multiply and feed a multitude of people, and the writers say he did this as a sign. And then shortly after that, Jesus said, hey, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Wow! Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I'm the way you live. I'm the way you get nourished I'm the bread of life. It's really incredible. So he uses this technical language and he says there's a woman. So if you, look, the ancient Near East was full of these legends. John was not writing into a vacuum. There's a Ugaritic legend of the Baal cycle. Baal, the storm god, battles Yom, uh, the, the, the god from the sea, the prince of the sea. And Baal defeats Yom and and. And, and kills Yom, and he becomes the ruler of the sea. The Babylonians also had a legend. All of these predate the book of Genesis, by the way. They're very ancient. They go back into who knows how long. Marduk slays Tiamat, the seven-headed monster from the sea. Marduk's mother in this Babylonian legend is described just like this, a woman with 12 stars in her hands. And Tiamat's battle with Marduk casts down a third of the stars to the, sea, to, to the land. The Persians had Ahura who fights the evil dragon uh, Azhidahaka. The Egyptians had the goddess Hathor or Isis uh, the wife of Osiris. Some of you have heard that legend. Who fled from the red dragon Typhon to an island 
and Typhon is destroyed by the son of Isis, Horus. There really is a Horus in these legends. The Greeks had Apollo, who was given birth by the goddess Leto and pursued by the great dragon Python. And because Python had heard that Leto's offspring would, would kill her, uh, she hid beneath the sea, but Apollo finds her and he kills the dragon. So what is John doing? John is just simply going into that world and he's saying, you know, we've all heard these stories. These are all legends. They're all, I'm going to tell you the true story. I'm going to tell you what's really behind all these legends of gods and goddesses and stars and all that. There was and is a cosmic battle. John appropriates these, and he doesn't just appropriate them from the pagan world. If you read, and I did, I spent hours going through all of the Old Testament scriptures, and many of you know uh, some of these scriptures, where the prophet is describing Israel or the people of God or making an allusion to Eve as giving birth, travailing to bring to birth the people of God, to bring them out of slavery, that the mother is giving birth to the child. And John just takes it and he says, you've heard all those stories? Those stories are legends, they're myth. This one is true. Verse 5, a male child who will rule the nations with a rod of, of iron. And not only that, he adds to these narratives, verses 10 through 12, this child by his blood will conquer the dragon. You see, if you take it literally, now look, listen, listen to me. And then if you have questions, stay for the q and I'll be happy to answer. If you want to go hard, literal, who's the woman? Come on, all you Protestants, let's hear you say Mary. That's what you end up with. Now, was it Mary? Say yes. But was it only Mary? No. The woman in Bible imagery begins with who? Who is the mother who will give birth to the seed who will then crush the head of the serpent? Eve is the mother who will give birth to the child, the male child, who will then crush the serpent. And so Eve, and then Sarah, and then Rebecca, and then, or Rachel, then Rebecca, and then are you following me? You see, each one of the women, that's why we, we need you ladies. You bring salvation. That's true. They were the bringer of the child, the male child. So was it Mary? Yes. Would the church have understood it to be Mary? Of course. But it would have understood not just Mary, it would have understood that this is a cosmic, John is saying it's cosmic in scope, and that the woman would give birth 
to the child who would then conquer the dragon and his offspring, their offspring, not by biological means, but the offspring of that conquest, birth and conquest, would then be persecuted by the dragon, but they would not be destroyed. They would survive. Now, if you were living, folks, if you were living in a place, instead of us living in the land flowing with milk and honey, which is what the United States is, we're living in a land flowing with milk and honey, we're drowning in prosperity. We're drowning in, our, in our, our wealth and greatness and grandeur. We are suffocating with so much that we can't imagine what that message would have meant to a people who have been bereft, have had everything taken from them. To know that the one who is persecuted, the one who is tearing away your flesh, your life, is defeated. They would have seen that as good news. To us, it just becomes a puzzle to kind of be figured out. And, you know, people write books about this stuff. My goodness. I have them up here. You're welcome to look at them. These are right. <laughs> okay, tongue-in-cheek. I'm just kidding. I know some of you don't know my that I'm... Well, I'm not really being funny. These are right. <laughs> but but uh, so anyway, that would have been good news to these people. And I hope that it's good news to you because we all suffer in different ways. And John is saying, who do you see? You see a cosmic battle. And how is the dragon defeated? Look at verses 7 and 9. There's war in heaven Michael and his angels are fighting the dragon and his angels are defeating. You see kings, kings when they conquer, they conquer by means of their great army. And Michael was the archangel or the angel that in all of biblical literature protected God's people. Not just the nation of Israel, but all of God's people. And so Michael is dispatched to, to defeat the dragon. How is he defeated? By God's army. When is he defeated? Look at verses 10 and 12. This is probably uh, the most important part for us as Christians. When is he defeated? When is the dragon defeated? Now, a lot of commentators have said that the dragon, this picture of the dragon, is all, you know, prehistory. It's going back to the cosmic battle between Satan and, and God, and God casts him out of heaven. That is not the context that John is giving us. John says in verses 10 through 12, I heard a loud voice when this battle was going on with Michael and the angels. Now salvation, power, kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come and the accuser of our brethren has been cast down who stood before God and accused them day and night. They conquered him, how? By the blood of the Lamb. How did that happen on the cross? John is doing nothing less, my friends, than describing the cosmic battle that took place while your Lord and Savior hung on that cross 
and his life's blood was draining out of him. A battle was being waged. And when Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He was immediately in God's presence and Satan was thrown down. And on the third day when he rose again, every accusation that brings death to you and I, every accusation was silenced on that day. And though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them all and thousands more. My God, He knoweth none. Why? Because the accuser of the brethren of us was thrown down on that cross. Why do you see it? Well, let me give you this quickly and then maybe next week we'll have time to come back and look at it some more. And again, I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, I know this is a lot to take in. Why do you need to see it? Why? And I'll tell it, I'll tell it to you this way, and I, I've said this, I don't know how many times in the 16 years I've been here at Christ the King. If you as Christian people if you do not have an understanding of what we call the already and not yet or the inauguration, continuation, consummation of the kingdom, if you don't have a picture of that in your life, if that's not part of the warp and the woof of the way that you live, if it's not woven into the fabric of your Christianity, then you're simply not going to be able to answer the question, why? The question why, and the question why plagues all of us. Why did I get this disease? Why did I lose that baby? Why did I have uh, this divorce? Uh, Why did I lose my job? Why was my spouse taken away from me too soon? Why? 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 If you don't have that you know, as, as woven into the fabric of your Christian life, the accuser will roar and he will undermine everything in your life. But if you know that the kingdom is already, that Jesus Christ's blood for you has been shed, that Satan's mouth has been shut, that there is no... No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When you know that, when that comes into your life, when that becomes part of the DNA of your life, then as Satan is shouting into your ears, you had this car wreck, you lost this job, you lost this health, you lost this thing, you're, you're suffering this thing because of your sins. When the accuser is roaring, you have something to roar back. And the thing that you're going to say back to him is no. The blood of the Lamb, and he says they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Which is not you getting up and telling your story or your history before a crowd of people. Your testimony is this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your testimony is simply this. There 
is no condemnation for me. Because my king, my king was crushed. And in crushed, in his being crushed, he crushed the head of the Nash, the serpent. The red, 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 the red, red dragon, his head was crushed beneath Jesus. How? By his death, by dying, he crushed the serpent. And that is our testimony. That is what we proclaim to the world. Why do you need to see it? Because we live in the wilderness. That's where the woman's, the offspring of the woman went. She was, had to go out into the wilderness, but God had prepared a place for her to be nourished. And in a moment, look, this is very real, folks. In a moment, in a few seconds, you're going to come to Holy Communion. You're going to take the body of blood the, and body and blood of Jesus, the body of, and, and blood of the Son of God into your life. And John Calvin said, we do this by faith. And when our faith is mixed with that element of bread and wine, He feeds us in our hearts by faith. He nourishes us so that we can live in the wilderness. Where did Moses provide manna for the children of Israel? In the wilderness. And where does Jesus provide His body and blood for us? In the wilderness. Who do you see? The male child who will rule the nations. Now salvation has come. Power and authority of our Christ, our King. Satan has been cast down. He cannot accuse us. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You. This is a pretty big vision and uh, it's hard to get our heads around all that we've seen. But I pray that You will help us to do that. And as we come to the table to be fed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we will still the voice of the avenger and quiet him with the blood of Christ and let nothing come between us and our Savior. He has been cast out and we look to Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.